Thank you for listening to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhanford.org. All right, there we go. Happy Mother's Day, everybody. Hey, uh, can we just give a round of applause to the moms in the room real quick? Woo! It's been a great day so far. Uh, my name is Peter. I'm the senior pastor. I hope to, uh, to keep this, uh, this day rolling. I was actually reading the other day uh, about, uh, about Mother's Day specifically, and uh, the Mother's Day, statistically speaking, is actually the day with the lowest amount of crime of any other day of the year, which I thought was, was really cool, right? Um, it also sheds light on the fact that, man, moms commit a lot of crime, you know what I mean? <laughs> Uh, it's crazy. They're too busy being celebrated. <laughs> Sorry, I wasn't. Oh, happy Mother's Day. Uh, you thought I was going to be nice. Um, anyway, uh, we're continuing in Mark 1. That's all I have for Mother's Day. Uh, you, can, uh, you can flip to Mark chapter 1 in your Bible. You can open on your, uh, your device that maybe you, you have with you. Um, but one of the things that as we're, as we're kind of getting into to this that we'll see in the book of Mark is, man, it is fast-paced over and over and over. And we see story after story after story. Um, and uh, while other gospels tend to give like a lot more uh, detail and context to what's going on uh, in a story, there's also fewer stories in those gospels. And so Mark, man, it is fast-paced. And, and today is going to be, uh, it's, it's not going to be any different. And so Today, actually, this day, well, everything we look at is going to happen in one 24-hour period, uh, and it's going to start in, uh, in verse 21. I'll get there in just, uh, just a second. But, but think about your days, uh, maybe your life. Um, man, it just never seems like things slow down like ever, right? There always seems to be kind of that threshold where you assume, you know what, things things are going to slow down just a little bit. And, and maybe once, once things slow down, then I'll be able to do more, right? Anybody ever told yourself that, right? Yeah, once things slow down, then I'll be able to, 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 to do more. Once things I slow down, we'll go spiritual on the whole thing. Then, you know, then I'll be able to, to get into a small group. Or once I just catch up on my sleep, this is the one I'm guilty of. Once I just catch up on sleep, then I'll be able to wake up a little bit earlier in the morning and be able to spend time uh, with Jesus. Or, you know, once I can finally stop sitting, sinning, then eventually I will, I will get right with God. And it seemingly never happens, right? It's seeming like, like always things just consistently seem to stay at a fast pace. I remember I have a, a friend, a family friend of ours who retired a couple years back and uh, they would always come to our Thanksgiving meal. And uh, uh, so we're sitting there and I'm talking, I'm like, oh, congratulations on your retirement. I said, what are you going to do to, you know, uh, just fill up all of your time? He said, I'm, I'm, I'm intentionally taking a six-month period where I don't say yes to anything. I'm not committing to anything because I know that as soon as I say yes to something, that day is going to fill up. I mean, you retirees in the room, you're probably like, I don't understand how I'm busier now than I was back when I was working eight-hour days and raising a family and doing all of, those, um, all of those other things. So things just consistently seem to stay busy, right? Even moms in the room, right? Maybe you're a mom and, you know, think back to maybe when you were pregnant or maybe you're, you're pregnant uh, right, right now. I mean, it's one of those things that I have no clue how something so small can wreck such a, a, such a normal size. I was going to say big human being, and that would have been terrible. Um, all you big human beings in the uh, um, how something so tiny could wreck, uh, could, could wreck a human, right? Like th- th- that tiny little fetus zaps 100% of the, 
of your energy, but the world then doesn't wait for you. Maybe you're like in that infancy stage where, where everyone says, hey, just sleep when the baby sleeps, right? We've all heard that. And that sounds good for baby number one, right? Like feasible for baby number one, but like baby number two, three, four, if you're an Anderson, five, like those other kids do not care. They do not care when that child is sleeping. They want mom, right? And so life is just busy or, or school-aged kids where you become like glorified taxi driver for the next 13 years of their life. Amen. I heard an amen over there. And taxis might be cheaper based on gas prices at this point. I don't know. Right, but moms are, are busy, dads are busy, even when you get into those later stages of life, when you get to be grandma and you get to be retired, right? Like you're, you're there at the beck and call of your kids because you want to support them in a real way and you want to make sure grandkids get to games and practices that moms maybe couldn't be at or dads maybe couldn't be at or whatever. Like life is just busy. And this is the same thing that we are going to see with Jesus today in this story in verse 21. Everything, like he is completely and totally slammed in this incredibly crazy day. But the way that Jesus handles it should be a model for us. So let's look at Mark, verse, or Mark chapter 1, verses 21 to 28, and then we'll continue through. They went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at this teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit took, or shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this, a new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Okay, so a couple things that we need, to, we need to pull away from this. It starts in verse 21 where it says they were in this village called Capernaum. So right before this, last week, we largely talked about Jesus was coming through and he's calling his disciples, right? He's calling James and John and Peter and Andrew. We see those four. Capernaum is right, pressed right up against the Sea of Galilee. So my guess is last week when we were talking about Jesus walking through, calling his disciples, all of that stuff, like that was probably right next to Capernaum. Because if you think about it, Peter and Andrew, James and John, all from that vicinity, probably weren't traveling 10 or 20 miles, commuting 10 or 20 miles to go to work, right? Everybody in that day worked in the same area in which they lived, that same place, probably very, very close to their home. And so Capernaum is Peter and Andrew. We hear this specifically, Peter and Andrew, where they live. But beyond that, this place is actually kind of going to be home base for Jesus and his disciples throughout the Gospels. So anytime you hear them say that they were going to Capernaum, okay, that is where they are staying. They are staying at probably Peter and Andrew's house. That's kind of bat cave for each and every one of them, right? And so that's like home base, and so here we have Jesus. He stops at a synagogue on the Sabbath. Okay, this would have been a normal thing for a traveling preacher to come by and to stop at a synagogue and just kind of start teaching. That seems kind of strange for us, right? You know that if you come here on a, on a Sunday morning, you're, either, you're probably going to hear me teach. If I'm not on stage, it's probably Jeff. If it's not Jeff, it's probably Dave. And if we can't find anybody else, it might be Kyle every once in a while, right? Like, like that's just kind of, kind of the order. Love you, Kyle. Um, 
Hey, that's just kind of the order in which we do things here. And that's fine and that's good and all of that stuff. But if somebody just like randomly showed up and was like, hey, I'm a pastor. You're just going to have to trust me on that. I'm going to go ahead and need your stage for the next 30 to 40 minutes while I teach with everybody. We're like, no, you're not. We don't know who you are. We don't know your theology. We know nothing about you. And so that being said, you're welcome to stay. Grab a donut, grab some coffee, but you're not teaching today. Okay? This, is, this would have been normal, though, back in Jesus' time. This is actually something that's called the freedom of the synagogue. And traveling pastors could come back or come to any synagogue they wanted plop down, start teaching, and people would stay as long as they were interested. I'm thankful that that is not our cultural norm, right? Like, I'm just going to stay until I'm done listening to you. Um, And so Jesus takes advantage of this over and over and over again, where he just like kind of travels around, finds a synagogue on a Sabbath, and plops down and starts teaching. Paul also in the epistles, we see Paul do this specifically in the book of Acts. Paul does this over and over and over again. But what we see with Paul is he goes into, he goes into a synagogue, he teaches on the Sabbath, everybody gets mad at him, they pull him out of town behind a couple of horses, and then he turns around and he goes back. Hey, Paul, a little bit more stubborn. But we see this on an ongoing basis, this idea of the freedom of the synagogue. And so in this instance, we have no clue what it is that Jesus taught. There are zero words about Jesus' teaching in, uh, in the book of Mark right here for this specific moment. All we know is that the reaction was a big one as everybody was amazed by it. Actually, the Greek word that's used here, this, this idea of being amazed, it was a, a compound word that means to strike. So it was almost like everybody was struck by how authoritative this teaching was, or everybody was dumbfounded by this guy's teaching. It's a very large, large word there. You'll also see, quickly see, quickly, there's a, a small comparison in these verses between Jesus and the, uh, the teachers of the law at the time. Okay, these are going to be Pharisees or scribes or Sadducees. It doesn't say specifically in this, te- this text. Okay? But what we're going to see throughout the rest of the Gospels is this, this is the beginning of the rival- rivalry between Jesus and the Pharisees. This is what is setting it up. They're saying Jesus taught with authority, unlike those guys over there. Right? And so even as Mark and Peter are writing this Gospel, looking backwards at what happened, they are pinpointing in Mark chapter 1. That, that Jesus taught with authority, and these other guys, they had no authority whatsoever, okay? So, that, so that's going on, but, but while he's there, Jesus, he encounters a demon-possessed mom, <laughs> or mom, <laughs> happy Mother's Day, demon-possessed man. <laughs> that was not intentional. <laughs> Whew. Remember when the pastor said you were demon-possessed mom? Okay, uh, so this is the second time Whew, recovery. This is the second time in chapter one um, that Jesus actually encounters the devil, encounters Satan, the enemy as a whole, right? We have earlier where the Holy Spirit calls Jesus out into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days. And then now uh, a few short verses later, we have Jesus encountering a demon-possessed man. This is a big deal. This is a big deal because in, in 1 John 3, 8, it tells us that Jesus actually came to destroy the power of the devil. And so if we're not careful, we're going to miss a, an important word here. The demon says that, uh, uh, what do you want with us? He doesn't say, what do you want with me? 
And there's other stories where it talks about, you know, this is I am legion and, you know, all of these demons get driven into a bunch of pigs. This isn't what's going on. There's not a whole bunch of demons inside of one person here. In this story, what we can gather from the context is there's one demon inside of this man. But the reason he says, what do you want with us, is because he is speaking on behalf of, seemingly, behalf of all of the other demons. Okay? They know who Jesus is. They know what Jesus is about. They know why he, came, uh, why he came to earth, and they clearly recognize Jesus here. So Jesus doesn't need, he doesn't need any magic formulas. He doesn't need any holy water. He doesn't need to press a cross against somebody's forehead in order to make the demon come out, as Hollywood would like you to believe. Okay? Jesus simply uses words, uses powerful words, and then the demon simply obeyed him and left. And the people, they're amazed by it. Right? Not only is Jesus speaking with authority, he also commands impure spirits, they obey him, and this is unheard of. Right? And so because of this, news about Jesus spreads all throughout the region and spreads very, very quickly. This is most likely because of the fact that everybody was at the synagogue on Sabbath. I mean, think about us today. There is a very rare chance that every single one of us will be in the same room together again ever right? That, that just us as a collective group of people who are here will ever all of us be in the same room without anybody else in this room. Like this is a one-time audience that we get this morning, church. Congratulations, you're one of a kind. And so the same thing is probably true of the synagogue, right? Like everybody came in together. Everybody saw one another. Everybody understood the teaching that was going on. They, they saw the, the, the demon be exercised from the man. And then everybody left and they went home. And what they do when they went home? Same thing you guys do. You talk about how great the sermon was, right? Like, so you guys all go home and not, maybe not talk about how great the sermon was, but you talk about church, maybe you talk about the, the, bat, or the, the dedications that took place, maybe you post about our photo booth online, hint, hint, like all of those different things that maybe you are going to talk about later on. You're going to talk about your morning in the same way that these people were all together at the synagogue. They left and talked about what went down in the synagogue, so news traveled incredibly quickly as they went back to their homes, they went back to their other villages, other towns all of that stuff. So Jesus has a pretty full morning, right? He goes, he drops in at a synagogue, he teaches, he exercises a demon, and then he is the, uh, the, the main, I mean, the, the main idea of the rumor mill, mill at that time. So then we get on to verse 29, where it says, as soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Again, Batcave, this is where they're going. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. Okay? This story is, is another reason why scholars believe that was a balloon pop, in case anybody was curious and nervous in the back. Everybody's like, oh, okay, we can talk about that. Okay. But it's another reason that, that scholars believe that these are Peter's words and not Mark's. Okay, Mark wouldn't have been here for this. Peter is privy to this story, and this is going to be important to him because this is Peter's mother-in-law that Jesus is coming to heal. We aren't told why she's sick. Okay, we just know mother-in-law is sick. 
This is also important for us to understand because we need to understand that, man, all of Jesus's disciples, they weren't just a bunch of bachelors with long hair and sweet beards, right? Like oftentimes we think about that. We think to ourselves, oh, Jesus and all of his buddies just roaming around the Sea of Galilee, healing people, talking about people coming to, coming to Jesus, getting baptized, all of those things. These people were real people with real wives, with real families. And we can see that by the fact that Peter has a mother-in-law and mother-in-law is sick. Now, chances are she is very sick because we all know that when mom has to lay down, mom is actually sick, right? Unlike all you dads out there with your dad colds, okay, who we sneeze and three days later we're like, forget about it, I can't get up, the whole world is ending. So if mom's down, mom is actually sick in this instance, okay? And this is true, this is very true of this mother-in-law. So the healing here is described very simply, okay, but it's also described in, in kind of interesting detail. All it says is he took her hand and he helped her up. That's it. He took her hand and he helped her up. And like most moms, after being sick, when her, her son-in-law's buddies all come over, what does she do? Like a good mother-in-law does, she starts waiting on them. Moms, amen? Amen. She starts waiting on them, right? And so this most likely meant that she started preparing food for them, started baking for them, making stuff um, for them. And so she's not just, she's not just you know, uh, tending to Jesus. She's tending to, to at least five of these guys here, most likely all 13 of them there. And so she helps making sure they don't need anything. So he teaches, Jesus teaches, he exercises a demon, he goes and he heals his best friend's mother-in-law, and if that isn't enough, people who I am sure heard about the demon-possessed man begin bringing people to him, same day. It's Mark 1, 32 to 34, that evening after sunset, that's going to be important, remember that, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. So in the Jewish understanding, one of the things we have to remember, the Jewish understanding, when the sun went down, it technically meant that the next day had started. And so remember, this is Sabbath. The Jews had laws that they had to follow. They couldn't work on the Sabbath. At this point in time, the scribes, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law had actually said, you can only take a certain number of steps on the Sabbath or else it was going to be considered work and you would be considered a sinner. So notice when people began to come back into Capernaum, began to come back to Peter's house, the sun had set. It was a new day. Sabbath at that point was over. They, did, they do days night and then day, not day then night like we do. Okay, so very interesting, interesting dynamic at play here. So they wouldn't be breaking Jewish law anymore. So everyone is now bringing their sick and demon-possessed friends to Jesus for him to take care of them because now they can finally go back, right? They're in the synagogue. They saw this man teaching with authority. They saw the demons getting exercised. They go home. They, they celebrate Mother's Day with mom. And they're like, hey, grab our sick buddy. Grab our supposedly demon-possessed buddy. Let's go back to Peter's house now that Sabbath is over and let's talk to this Jesus guy again. So everyone's bringing all of these people to take care of them, heal them, exercise demons. Okay, notice here that Mark actually, this is not an instance where Mark is citing individual uh, instances here. There's actually a focus on how many people show up. 
And it feels kind of like a pastor, right? Like he says, the whole town showed up. Like, like for Easter numbers, like how, how many people were here? Well, there's a pregnant lady, so she counted as two. Obviously, a dog wandered by, so that we, we count the dog as well, right? Like pastor's numbers always seem to get inflated a little bit. But Mark here is saying so many people came. The whole town, Jesus healed many. He drove out many demons. There's an idea here. There's just a ton of people who sought Jesus out. And so after Peter's mother-in-law gets him a quick bite to eat after healing her, he was going again. More ministry, more things, more people. Things did not slow down for him. And again, we see Jesus here quickly. He muzzles the demons because they knew who he was. Luke actually gets more specific here. He says um, it is because they knew he was the Christ. Much more specific. They didn't just know he was Jesus of Nazareth. They knew he was the savior of the world. So that's his day. That's a, uh, that's a day I want to take a nap in or sleep in, sleep in late the next morning. Think about all the times like when your day seems to just be madness. And our go-to is, you know what, if I could just get an extra 30 minutes or if I could just get an extra hour or if I could just get my second cup of coffee. Who's two cuppers this morning? Any two cuppers in the room? Don't lie. Yeah, I see you kind of embarrassed, but you're like, I'm on four, um, right? All of us have, have been there, but Jesus doesn't do that. This is actually what I think is crazy. I think that Jesus is, is modeling us to us what it is that we are supposed to do when life seems unfathomably crazy busy in Mark 1, 35 to 39. Mark 1, 35 is actually one of Pastor Jeff's favorite verses. It says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. So Jesus, after a very busy evening of healing, gets up early and found a quiet place to pray. That's it. Like, that's your Mother's Day sermon. That's your challenge. I know some of you are like, dang it, I got to set my alarm early tomorrow morning. I feel you, okay? Because I'm not good at this. I'm actually not good at this at all. I'm a night owl. Most of you know my house is very loud, so I enjoy the silence of my house once everybody is asleep, which sometimes still isn't silent because talking in sleep is a thing, right? But still, the silence of my house. I know a lot of people assume, like, pastors, oh, I mean, you pastors, you're supposed to have three-hour quiet times where you're in the backyard and like birds come and land on your arms and rainbows appear in the field behind you at 3 a.m., right? Like all of those things. And, and it's simply not true. This is difficult for me to be able to do just because of kind of the way that, that I'm wired. But this is how Jesus models what we are supposed to do. This is how he models how it is that we are supposed to fill, be filled up. In two other places in the, in the book of Mark, we see where Mark talks about Jesus going off to pray. And in both of those instances, there's a crisis actually that follows. This one, there's kind of just like a, like a minor crisis. It's a, it's a small crisis. The crisis here is maybe it's the first time that the disciples realize that this guy, Jesus, is actually a really big deal. And there's going to be a huge following to Jesus as well. And so they find him. They exclaim, like, Jesus, everyone is looking for you. 
And the crisis here is that everyone is looking for him and he is nowhere to be found. And at first glance, this seems like a pretty cold reception by Jesus, right? Like everybody's looking for him. Man, he's super popular. He's healing people. He's exercising demons. He's got a successful, a successful ministry going on. And, and there's more people showing up. Jesus, come, come to all of these people. And he's like, nah, let's go somewhere else. And that's hard for us to kind of wrap our heads around because growing up, we all heard that God is love, right? That's what we heard over and over again. So how can someone who is so loving turn his back on people who are sick or turn his back on people who maybe are possessed by demons? Or how could Jesus just be so cold and so, so calloused? Apparently, the disciples thought that Jesus would be pleased that everyone was excited to find him. The disciples here, they simply don't understand that this popular and ultimately shallow reception of Jesus was actually the very reason he left in the first place or wanted to leave in the first place. The way Jesus replies shows us that he thought his healings and his exorcisms at this point seemed to be an under, a, a hindrance to people understanding who he really was, Jesus the Christ. See, the people in Capernaum were, were only interested in him at this point as Jesus, the miracle worker. Jesus, the cool, new, popular kid in Capernaum. So Jesus suggests that they move on to other villages so he could preach there also. You know, we got to remember that, that Jesus coming into the world was more to proclaim God's good news and all that was involved in discipleship and suffering than to be a pop, popular miracle worker. You know, healings and exorcisms, sure, they, they had their place, verse 39 tells us about, but they were not to usurp the primary purpose for which Jesus had come. That's not the purpose of Jesus coming. Actually, in the Gospel of Mark, here he is refuting the heresy that placed way too much of an emphasis of Jesus as a miracle worker. Jesus didn't come merely to heal people. He came to forgive the sins of the entire world. That's why he came. So off they went. They traveled throughout Galilee. They traveled throughout the surrounding area of Capernaum and largely to teach and then also to heal and exercise demons. We got to understand there's kind of this, this fine line here we need to be aware of. Like if we only come after Jesus because he's this miracle worker, we only come after Jesus when we're in a hard spot and Jesus, can you just, man, can you take care of me this time? And I promise I'll come to church and I'll tithe. Like I'll give you all the money. I don't care. Just make sure, Jesus, that you can take care of us this time. Or Jesus, man, I, man I, I'm really in a bad spot. Or Jesus, I, I have a cancer diagnosis. Or Whatever it may be. If that's the only time we're coming to Jesus, we're missing out on the true, actual Savior of the world. Jesus is so much more than a miracle worker. Jesus didn't come to heal and then also be the Messiah. He came to be the Messiah and he also healed people so they could see that his power was real. And that's an interesting and necessary distinction that we have to make. So that's it. Jesus, after his busy day, he gets up, he gets filled back up by communing with God and does it again, over and over and over again. And to be fair, there's a ton that we could pull from these different stories. There's a ton of different things we could pull through these stories. We could talk about the power of God. We could talk about like his teaching. We could talk about uh, demonic activity and get, onto the, get into the theology of angelology, which is a word that you didn't know before this morning right? Like we could get into all of it. We could talk about his authority over all things. But today, I simply want you to look at the example that Jesus the Christ set for each and every one of us, especially on a day that can be a little bit chaotic, a day that maybe can be a little bit busy. 
Jesus' Jesus's example to all of us is that regardless of what you are going through, regardless of the busyness of the day, regardless of the tyranny of the urgent, we can't properly function without properly communing with God as we get our day started. That's what it says. And like I said, I'm not, I'm not great, great at this, but someone who is great at this is actually my mom. And I couldn't, I couldn't leave today without sharing a story about my mom. Mom, I hope you're listening. Um, happy Mother's Day. Um, but my mom, when, when I was growing up, um, I don't remember her always doing a quiet time, when I was younger specifically. But then I got into high school, and, and my senior year of high school, uh, we had gotten my dad's cancer diagnosis at that point, right? And, um, and then I was also a senior water polo, and so I had to wake up early, I mean, at least early for a senior in high school. So it was like 5.30 in the morning, I had to drag myself out of bed. Actually, it was my mom who gently shook me up, and honey, it's time to get out of bed. It's time to go play water polo. Um, and so I would get up and throw my clothes on, and as I walked into the kitchen, uh, there would be my peanut butter and jelly bagel that my mom had made for me and ziploc for me to make sure that I had food after practice, because that's what moms do, and then I would make sure I had my towel and my goggles, and I would look off to the right as I was leaving, and, and they have, my mom has this little dining room that's way too small to be a dining, dining room, but it's perfect for her and her quiet times, and so I look over, my mom be sitting there, I could still see it in my, my mind with, with her Bible open, her cup of coffee on the left, her journal on her right, her pen, and she would just be sitting there at 5.30, 5.45 in the morning. I mean, she was going through her Bible before I even thought about getting up. And so this is a mom who had, uh, I was a senior in high school, my brother in his first year of college, she was working full-time. Shout out to you full-time working moms, we know it's not easy. But beyond that, my dad had just gotten a cancer diagnosis, and she was his primary caregiver as he started going through these radiation and chemo treatments and different things like that. And nobody in the entire world would have blamed my mom if she simply said, hey, I need to sleep in this morning, or I'm going to get up at 7, or I'm going to stay up late to try to cope with whatever emotions that I'm dealing with. But she knew that in order for her to commune with God, in order for her to actually get filled up, that she needed to be in his word. She needed to sit and be with God. She needed to sit and pray to God. That she knew that she needed to, to get up and read his word every single day and pray and be with him every single day. And so that's your challenge. Your challenge, I want you to get up and read his word tomorrow morning. That's your challenge today, church. I know, what a pastor. Man, groundbreaking sermon this morning. Read the Bible pray. But that's the rhythm that, that Jesus established for us. And I know maybe tomorrow is going to be tough because I know a lot of you dads are going to be working twice as hard as you normally work because you guys are going to cook today, right? Dads, as a reminder, two things, okay? Cooking doesn't just mean standing by the grill and babysitting meat while your wife is inside doing all the, uh, the hard stuff. Secondly, once you're done cooking, do the dishes as well, okay? A day off is not a day off without moms not doing the dishes. Amen, church? A lot of ladies who said amen to that. Thank you, ladies. Okay, but that being said, on a day that could be a little bit busy, I think this is a day for, for us the next morning to actually test this rhythm that Jesus sets out for us, this rhythm that starts with meeting with the Father and then moves into the ministry that God has for us every single day because that's really what Jesus established, right? He didn't just establish meeting with the Father. He met with the Father, and then from that place, they went and did more ministry. They went and did more teaching. 
They went to more synagogues over and over and over again. Getting up early to pray, it's important because you are meeting with God before you meet with any of your temptations. Right? You're, you're meeting with God before you meet the circumstances of your life. You're meeting with God and talking with God before you're talking to most people. Maybe you get to talk to your spouse. You fellowship with God before you fellowship with anyone else. Our, sh- our goal as a church should be to meet with God before we meet anything else in order to ensure that our day is honoring to him and to him alone. To ensure that as you encounter opportunities to minister throughout the day, you are fed. To make sure that you are ready. Man, to have an, a, an entire church that's girded up and ready to go after meeting with Jesus is to have a church that is ready to impact their world for Jesus as they encounter those different opportunities. And it's a strong and it's empower, a powerful and an incredibly necessary thing. Amen, church? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for moms. Thank you for my mom. Thank you for my wife. Thank you for my future daughters-in-law. Thank you for my mother-in-law. All of the people who are in my world who function as some sort of caretaker, mothering figure to me, thank you for them. And so, Father, I pray this morning that we would recognize that while today is about honoring our moms, that we don't preach about moms. We preach about your son and him crucified on our behalf. We preach about your son and the truth that he brings in our life. We preach about your son and the necessity of realizing our sin in our life. And so I think this morning with heads still bowed and eyes still closed, that there's a couple groups of people in here. And each of you will get a chance to respond to that first group who maybe you have not yet made a profession of faith for Jesus. Maybe you've never said yes to him and you recognize that I I am a sinner in need of a savior. You'll have an opportunity to respond in just a second. But I think there's a larger group of people in here who maybe have said yes to Jesus at some point, but have chosen not to commune with him on a regular basis for whatever reason. Maybe it's laziness, maybe it's simply the being overwhelmed with the day. Maybe it's just out of habit. I don't know, but if that's you this morning, I'd ask that you re-up with God as well. So if you fall into either of those two camps, you can just pray along with me, make a profession of faith this morning. Say, Father, A, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, that I fall short every single day, and I admit that, Father. But B, I believe you sent your son to die on my behalf so I wouldn't have to. So I wouldn't have to die that spiritual death, but C, I would choose to follow you every single day of my life as I get up to commune with you, as we get up, we set that alarm, find a quiet place to pray so we are filled up and ready to minister on your behalf every single day. Father, we love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.